And welcome to the Dice of Screaming Podcast. Ha ha ha. Yes. I'm Mike. And I'm Randy. And together we form the gaming gestalt of the two-headed literary Eden of gaming podcast. Oh, I love saying that. Oh, oh no, you do us too much credit. <laughs> we are the unwanted wandering monster table result oh, of gosh. gaming podcasts. This is how you wind up encountering a Beluga Theorem. Yeah, what is a Beluga Theorem? Oh, well, if you don't know, look in the first edition Monster and Wonder. You'll see it. It's got 10 hit dice, but, you know. We've never encountered one. Never. Like, literally, between the two of us, over 70 years of gaming, never once encountered a Beluga Theorem. No, nope, so, but it's there. <laughs> it's there just the same. And that's us. That's what you're stuck with. Hey, so hope you had a great one. Uh, hope you're all doing fine. Man, it's been rough. Yeah, we're a little late this week. Uh, was, you know, illness has been all over this area, yeah. and I am not kidding when I say that. Like even the non-COVID for, you know, variants of like flus, there have been a couple going around that have been horrific. Uh, they have laid people out. Yeah, and well, including some of my coworkers. Yeah. I, on the other hand, am like finally I can do a podcast without like everybody hearing my lung sounds. Yeah, this new mic has its uh, drawbacks, doesn't it? It picks up everything. Yeah, that... <laughs> I, I back-checked uh, the sound quality on a previous podcast, and I was horrified. I was like, oh, God, I sound terrible. <laughs> Are those lungs? <laughs> Are those weather-beaten rags buried in my chest? Those blackened husks? <laughs> so... <laughs> Speaking of Keith Richards. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so uh, getting on to something more lighthearted. Uh, yeah, we uh, really enjoyed our last podcast. Hope you enjoyed the new format. We want to do some more stuff. And, of course, with more improvements, uh, more music's going to be coming. And we're going to be trying to get those pesky illustrations done so we can have a header. Oh, yeah, and by the been... way, got a lead on that with the graphic design. Oh, yeah. So well, I got to do a confab pretty soon, actually. All right. Which is in the next week or two. And I was very excited to run across somebody with a lengthy experience in graphic design, uh, specifically computer illustration. So okay. uh, that, uh, that's some happiness. Yeah, and, it, and uh, so finally, some, some kind of forward motion. Yeah, we're working on it. And yeah, it's everybody just, was busy right after Christmas. Everybody is super busy right now. So. But now things are calming down. Uh, I'm very pleased. So anyway, uh, we have a Jason call in. Ooh, finally, oh. finally, James, he call us in. Oh. Thank you, Jason. That's my uh, tough British voice. I'm very happy to be here. We're <laughs> very happy to have you on the podcast, Jason. <laughs> well, you're not going to do the B-fat voice? You know, the no, no, no. I, I have the jowls. <laughs> the the B-fat is, you know. I was going to buy a bracelet for my bride-to-be, Belinda. No, no, no. I was just doing the, the British jowls. Okay, but well, I like well, the jowls thing. That... <laughs> I, that's that's how I imagine Winston Churchill sounding half the time. <laughs> 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 I'm on each one of the missions and the pubs and the, the, the shores and the streets. <laughs> oh, man. I don't think uh, your Winston Churchill would have been as well remembered as, as his. Uh, Mine is terrible. <laughs> but, so, yeah, but, but yours is many times funnier. Oh. Although, hey, let's give old Winston his chops here. Uh, I, I loved the line where uh, he was at a dinner party and some lady who despised him said to him, Sir, if I was your wife, I'd put poison in your tea. 
and without dropping a beat, okay, the guy just looked her right in the eye and went, Madam, if I were your husband, I'd drink it. <laughs> <laughs> All, right. All right, well, All anyway, right. enough about Jason. Yes, segway. Jason, man. Jason, take it away. We'll be right back. Hey guys, Jason here. Enjoyed your talk about dark fantasy and video games. I have to be honest, my video game days really stopped with the Commodore 64. Um, I, aside from a brief foray, attempting getting to modern games with Aliens Colonial Marines, which, you know, if you know anything about that game, you know that didn't end well. But I, I did enjoy listening to it. I have seen the Witcher TV show. I've heard about the other things you're talking about. I've heard people talk about Dragon Age. I actually didn't know that was a video game. I just knew it from the RPG because they have the Fantasy Age and Modern Age versions as well. But anyway, great show. Keep up the great work. Look forward to what you do here in 2022. And we'll talk to you again soon. Take care. All right. Hey, thanks, Jay. It was good to hear from you, man. Uh, I, I got to say, I'm impressed. Uh, you, you managed to like avoid everything post Commodore 64 that that's actually an impressive feat I mean I I cut my teeth on an Apple IIe a long time ago but uh, I, I honestly gotta say uh, uh, dying of dysentery on the uh, Oregon Trail like ruined it for me I mean never I, I never got over it uh, well yeah first never dysentery when you're on the Oregon Trail you don't dysentery mm-hmm. also uh, like I didn't even make it out of puberty without learning what pemmican was. So, I mean, three cheers for Oregon Trail for being a great teacher of kids. So, uh, but <laughs> also you, you you do learn that like life is full of rocks fall you die moments. That, yeah, sometimes you're not going to win. Uh, but I loved even the early games on like that black and green screen made a difference for me. And Oh, Bard's Tale. Oh, yeah. I never made it out of Bard's Tale too. You know, I, I got stumped by a riddle, and I never finished. Yeah, it, you know, bonus points for anybody out there besides me who ever played Shadowkeep. Oh man, I don't that, know. That, that was a great. No, I love that game. All right, uh, and like major bonus points for anybody else who remembers Caves of Eamon. Oh jeez. Yeah, yeah, you do. I do. <laughs> yeah. That made the rounds uh, on floppy disk when we were kids. Now, the, the, the point is, it was really fun to do that episode. Because I'm the cue. Now we're looking at all these amazing games. Uh, just these these stellar graphics and incredible plots. Uh, these grimdark fantasy landscapes that they get the coverage and the accessibility that they totally deserve. Yeah, we're... Golden like, Age. Um, even over the books, the video games. The Witcher series, especially the Wild Hunt and Assassin of Kings, has factored heavily into the show. Oh, uh, very. I uh, mean, the, it, you know what the fandom likes. I, that's the nice thing, is that, yeah. You know, and another thing is, I I was this many years old when I found out that Jasker was Polish for Buttercup, which is the real name of Dandelion. So Dandelion is in the series. They just call him by his true Polish name. Oh. So instead of calling him Buttercup. The closest translation, like, decided to make a uh, translation change, editorial change, and change the name to Dandelion. 
which suited well. But uh, it turns out that, you know, that I was just like, there must have been some apprentice or some new character they invented. Oh. So I got it wrong. Well, now that's all right, though. I mean, it is. All right. They've got some other guy named after a flower. Um, (laughs) The same character. Oh, but. I was like, he's doing the same things that uh, Dandelion was doing. Yeah. So. Buttercup. That's that's what Jasker really goes to. Daffodil, Jip, or something like that. So. They decided the Dandelion kind of fit the personality. Dandy. He has a little bit Perfect. of a, yeah. He's a little bit of a dandy. He is the count of women's many a woman's heart. Uh, uh, the keeper yes. of uh, off to horny bard jail. Yes, he is the horny bard jail. But uh, it's a trope, but it is one that they use very carefully without making it weird. <laughs> Unlike me, where oh, uh, after all, uh, <laughs> I, I've got great plans for the next character I play at your table. So does Jodan Baker, I hear. Jodan Baker wants to play a bard. <laughs> you know, this is one of his favorite classes. I don't want to foreshadow too much, but my bard jester is going to be named John Wayne Gacy. Okay. Uh, the <laughs> foreshadowing of that is equal to a full lunar eclipse <laughs> at high noon. Yeah, you just... No, it went, went so dark that I had to turn the porch light on. <laughs> Oh man, and you're you're wondering to yourself, why do I let you do this to me? Man? I, yeah, <laughs> that's what friends are for. I can't do this to my. So, all right, uh, going to round it out here with yeah. our divination. So, what is our divination? Oh, the Gelascopper. Oh, I must divine by laughter. I need you to laugh heartily for me. <laughs> ah, now the Gelascopper can go to work as he divines from the sound of the laughter what is to come in the future and i see a twofold discussion and examination of an anthology product by runequest uh, and i believe the name is the pegasus plateau and other stories uh, however the meta narrative on this discussion will also be uh, the value of anthology works and the in certability that they have for original campaigns and homebrew campaigns uh, because when you have created a less structured environment you have the ability to implant outside material in but not necessarily inside strict familiar campaign terms and so these products have so much more value at moments like that uh, but you know the, the meta narrative will also be uh, homebrew campaigns and anthology material. Yeah, and the in- intrinsic value that they have with also sandbox and why that's so more important for a homebrew campaign. And we'll cover that next week, so join us then. All right, now turning our gaze. No, no, it's not the arcane gaze of no. the inscrutable eye. Of... No, it's no, none no, of that. No. Nope. What saving it is... throw made. Yeah, we make a saving throw. <sighs> Oh, such a close call. It was. I felt it coming on. And yeah. so, this week, as we promised, we're going to give a review to the aforementioned Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide. Yeah, for fifth edition. Yeah, we're actually living in the modern age. Coming up on some other things that we'll be doing as well. <laughs> Unbelievable enough, though it may be. It may be. Yes, the, 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 <laughs> the, the old shellbacks. 
you know, crustaceans left over from Trivolites from the Cretaceous. We're the horseshoe crab, unchanged for 31.4 million years. You know, no, I, I, I made that number up. It could be 200 million. It could we be 5 million. Know. I don't know. But <laughs> oh, yeah, the fossils <laughs> are totally having a look at something brand new tonight. Again. So good for us. Yeah, I'm working forward. Um, being that kind of progressive pre- people that we are, we like to have some new stuff interject. And yeah, we are doing a lot of new stuff. Pegasus was so um, just a year or two ago. <clears throat> yeah. So here we are looking at one of my favorite places in the Forgotten Realms. And wow, Forgotten Realms. Let, let's just take a step back and start this out. Right. The Forgotten Realms, some people have said, is possibly the most detailed original setting of all time. Fair. I would put it up there with some. I think there are some more that uh, <clears throat> similar. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's hard to match uh, Mr. Tolkien's, uh, you know, uh, proliferate writing. I, he really filled in all the blanks. Like, wow. <laughs> uh, we know the name of like every critter on this continent. Yeah, every king of the line leading up to Aragorn. Yeah. In Numenor on up. All two or three thousand years. And their individual histories. I mean, mm. yeah. So, okay. But uh, there's some other settings that bear as much detail. Uh, okay. Um, yeah, perhaps not as quite as laboriously undertaken uh, by Ed Greenwood, but I, I think I uh, on one, it, it out well. one that uh, we should be looking at in the future is Battletech, the universe of Battletech. Oh, it's enjoying gosh. a little bit of a resurgence, so maybe we should chalk that one up for another episode. It <sighs> would be a great episode. I mean, one, it's a major player in the classic game category. And we've not covered that. And it's actually a shameful oversight. And like the minute you say it out loud, I'm like, <gasps> how have we not done this? Yeah, I don't know. We, so, we're not exactly sure on the timeline, but yeah, you are. Uh, stay so, tuned to yeah, this channel. This just happened at random. Okay. We got in mid conversation and I've just realized that that's a thing we haven't done. And we're a one. Yeah, I was thinking about the Traveler Imperium and I'm like in 40,000 and some other things, but I'm like, you know, another literary uh, uh, gaming campaign area has been Battletech. And boy, it's uh, pretty big. But anyway, yeah, Sword yeah. Coast, The Forgotten Realms. Man, this is a classic one. This was like right there with that gray box. Uh, this one put a lot of effort in to recapturing that original feel from those uh, slip books. And yeah. I remember The Savage Coast was one of the first ones released along with Silvery Moon. Oh, and water deep, excuse water deep, water deep in the north. Yes, water deep in the north, uh, and the savage north uh, were two of the uh, original edition uh, expansions that gave you uh, little, you know, close-up views of specific regions. So, water deep, silvery moon, uh, and you know, Baldur's Gate and places of that mm-hmm. nature uh, were covered in those books now the sword coast here covers the same general area so for fifth edition this book now picks up where those expansion packs uh you know once upon a time in the original edition would have fulfilled this role this is a useful area guide slash uh 
how do I want to phrase this? I mean, it is chock full of ways in which to explain how uh, the various creatures, mm -hmm. uh, the, the like stock heritages for characters, uh, the various nations and uh, oh, nation states, uh, where you might find your characters coming from, uh, and further, like how does your class as a character fit into the scheme of things in the Forgotten Realms? Because, you know, frankly, let's be candid, a lot of time a newer player is essentially dropped into an alien realm. You know, yeah, literally. It's, it's just a giant unknown. It's a great big question mark. Uh, but this, it does a superb job of delivering an easy read that lets the reader, be it player or DM, explore how to insert core concepts into the Forgotten Realms landscape. Uh, I mean, one example. Of well, course, an example for me would be the monk class. Now, a lot of old schoolers dislike monks. I don't want no martial arts in my chops hockey stuff in my old book. I will tag him. But we loved monks back in the day. I mean, yeah, I know. But here we are. We have right in here monastic orders that are suitable for the north, as well as ones already set there, and how to take your monk character into a more northern approach in this one. Yeah, existing orders of paladins, uh, you know, existing groups of rogues, warlocks, wizards, clerics, uh, the various bardic traditions, you know, of which there are more than one. So, you know, players aren't merely having a class, they also have connections to agencies, uh, potentially to resources, uh, to education, uh, to hot tips through the DM for work. The classes section, uh, which would be the fourth chapter in this particular book, man, it really just it's, unloads it, a It's meaty without having a lot of rules. And that's what I noticed. There's also what we're glossing over the tip here is... Wow, I just used that. Um, there, The information on the various locales around the Sword Coast, specifically the geological uh, geographic and regions of normal and normative interest that you wouldn't your player characters would normally be drawn to are detailed in proper form here but also new places that you may not have uh found much use for in outside of what oh silvery moon water deep yeah where else would you want to go i mean that besides that and they do a good job, as well as the history of the place. So for a player resource, this is invaluable because it not only gives classes and historical references, but it also gives geographical locations of interest that are probably just as juicy for the DM as they are the player. And usually giving that little peek behind the screen is usually been a kind of a touchy thing. You know, you don't want to give too much information away that the players have more of a knowledge than the DM would. Yeah, but you also want to give players enough knowledge that they not only can hurt themselves with. I'm just kidding, um, <laughs> but also you totally want to give them enough knowledge to oh, hurt themselves. Always, always give them enough rope to hang themselves. <laughs> but enough that they can get engaged in the setting and help create part of the excitement that is the forgotten. Realm. 
Yeah, this book does straddle the line handsomely, okay? This is not a giant giveaway that, like, oh, if your players read this, you just quit. Yeah, it just, it's done. Yeah, there's no point in doing this now. Yeah, like a player has touched it, it's ruined. No, that is not how this works at all. This book is open season, okay? The player can gain a lot from reading this in terms of making themselves familiar with the various religions, uh, the various other nations. There are short blurbs, uh, nation by nation, giving you an explanation of, you know, these are the places that people might have come from. Uh, and then in terms of like the the religious institutions of Faerun, like a pantheon of all the various gods and their alignments and, you know, their, their symbols and domains. Like Maliki is... is uh... Well, if you're a reader of the Drift's novels, Maliki is quite big. <laughs> yeah, neutral good, nature, uh, you know, affiliated and symbol is a unicorn's head. You know, just just quick blurbs, but there is a lot more than that here. Uh, you, frankly, there are well, much Mulder's more gate, detailed. Like, you just turn the page there. We're just going to start. Let, let, let's give an example. We've been kind of skipping around it. The section on Baldur's Gate is not only just like, okay, here's the city of Baldur's Gate. It covers the various quarters, it covers the history, and it gives a full map of the place that most players are like, what? But um, <laughs> the DM has more than enough room here to work with players like, hey, you grew up as a rogue on the mean streets of Baldur's Gate in the lower city. Fighting off the Tide Cloaks and other sm smugglers. When you weren't punching rats, trying to crawl your way out of the sewer because your life was that. No, I'm kidding. I'm but, kidding. Yeah, but you can work with this get, and give the players some visual help in understanding how it was that maybe their character came to be. Nonetheless, these are always things you can work into. Yeah, and, there are like side notes of, you know, chapter two it was the Sword Coast in the north, and this is the area he's talking about here. Uh, where my favorite area. they take some time out to go in depth uh, and like let you have longer uh, explanations of uh, specific regions, specific city states. Uh, that you know, this is where you start to find yourself given those old, familiar, uh, original Forgotten Realms hints where the DM is being handed, like you're being spoon-fed a collection of ideas and notions. They're not written in stone, but they're just laying the groundwork for like, hey, you know, this is the kind of stuff that's going on in this area. And gosh, doesn't that seem like a good idea to insert, you know, these kinds of creatures? Yeah, and rather than just being a player, a guide, they have lots of marginalia about like notes to the GM, making the realm yours. Yeah, the information in this chapter is intentionally non-specific with respect to threats, monsters, and statistics. While you can use these details to flavor your description of the towns and cities your players might visit, you should in no way consider these pieces of narration definitive. They're meant to provide touchstones, not to constrain your players to a narrow conception of the world. You might decide to change some of the details, either to surprise your players or to account for events that have transpired since they obtained the information herein. You're encouraged to take what's presented here and make it, and the Forgotten Realms, your own. Which, in essence, was the thing that I loved the most about Forgotten Realms when I first encountered it. So much was left... Uh, 
the the frame was there the framework was there uh, but the details were left up to me like just an abundant number of hints and suggestions uh, and then like well why don't you create uh, like the the dungeon of the dark overlord that you know <laughs> or if you want your players to go after like we're going to take out old mini arrows that old orc king who's such a jerk well as i have often thought about doing is there's a basic dnd module against the shadow master and i've often thought about putting that in the savage north because mm. that's how open it is i haven't actually seen that module yeah it's old basic one i think it's for master level oh this was uh... oh a companion yeah it was a companion level oh my gosh that takes me back because uh, that's a collection of modules I'm not especially familiar with. The uh, the Masters and Companion level uh, sets. That that was right after they formalized the whole basic expert kind of system. And it, it went beyond it. Yeah, was Tom called, Moldvig's work. Well, Tom Moldvig was the uh, BNX, the uh, basic and expert, and then they restarted it with the Metzner. That's it, Metzner. Sorry, the BECMI. Yeah. which is the basic expert companion masters and immortals ah as it's called in the realms of the old school grognards were there when the magic was made yeah i had forgotten that because i did not get heavily vested in that i had my basic and expert already and then we launched into advanced but i always thought that would I make it that's, it that's the one thing about the forgotten realms is you could insert a lot of other material into it and they do a pretty good job. I think that the big thing that Wizards of the Coast has made it grounds in is straddling that area between too much information excluding and making the product excluded from players' eyes to also providing a lot of ideas for the Dungeon Master to use in these products, making it utilitarian for both players and Dungeon Master so it doesn't just sit in the DM shelf and only get looked at when the DM is setting an encounter in that area. Very smart. Yeah, so you have a lot of uh, stuff that should be familiar. Neverwinter, Baldur's Gate. Silvery Moon. Yeah, yeah Daggerford. Daggerford. Yeah, yeah Bastoral. Uh, beautiful places. Uh, oh, I'm thinking the one in... Uh, <laughs> Dagger Mark, I'm thinking of that in uh, Galarian and Pathfinder. Oh, yeah. Well, Daggerford here uh, is something a little different. Uh, but also the politics of various regions. Ah, uh, the, the Lord's Alliance, the Magna Carta of the Forgotten Realms. Yeah, when you have a collection of these independent city-states that rely upon one another for trade. Uh, and also, periodically, you know, they, they may be competitive with one another, they also don't want to lead to one another's destruction. Mm -hmm. Like there's a, a balance kept where you're like, yes, okay, I would like to have a little advantage over you in financial matters, but that doesn't change the fact that if one of us falls, all the others are in even more danger. <laughs> uh, our little alliance of lords uh, helps us to communicate, recognize mutual threats, and respond to them in an appropriate fashion. And this is where you can pull in players with early tasks, uh, you know, clearing up minor matters when they're still low level and working their way into much more difficult material as time goes on. Uh, 
there are wonderful sidebars here all throughout uh making the characters familiar uh, well the the players and or dm that is newly arriving to the forgotten realms uh, familiar with the different calendar that is available mm-hmm. uh, and the different forms of coins that are prevalent throughout the realms uh and not just the sword coast there is actually inside this little blurbs dedicated to all the other countries uh, north south east and west you know every every zone in the campaign gets at least a blurb however the sword coast itself that area is the one that gets the lion's share of attention later in this booklet uh, but i respect the fact that they made this useful for players and readers who are new arrivals to the forgotten realms so i'm i'm going to straight up qualify this as like kind of the if you're doing 5e in the forgotten realms which a great many people are now this is kind of a must have what really this edition is popular yeah i know you wouldn't think so right yeah you know cuz <laughs> Uh, yeah, I was just talking to Zap Brodozer the other day and he said that fifth edition was really popular back where he comes from. So <laughs> what does does he have a click he can sit down and play with when he's not beating the crap out of Canadian cultists in the snow? Yeah, and uh parking <laughs> down brews, you know. Eh? Sure thing, eh? You hosers. <laughs> uh, say something for the rest of us. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Candlekeep 2. Now we mentioned Candlekeep. Yeah, history, it's okay. But if uh, we could just stop for a minute and gush about the fact that in the Savage North, there is literally the best places in all the Forgotten Realms: Candlekeep, Waterdeep, Baldur's Gate, Neverwinter, Silvery Moon. I mean, you're hitting them all. Yeah, the Sword Coast uh, is a semi-dangerous zone, but it's got these marvelous trade routes where very tough, hardy, dangerous people. uh you know find their way moving valuable goods uh to and fro ah the far hills plenty of room for adventure uh you know getting stuff from these rarefied northern cities uh the you know superb minerals that are mined by the dwarves uh the high quality gear and iron that flows out of these regions uh <laughs> Uh, it is kind of an essential trade zone. It is not a uh I don't know how to put this. It doesn't exist in a vacuum, you know? There is no. there is an economics underway in place in the Forgotten Realms. Trade bars from Waterdeep. Got them. <laughs> you want to buy some dead sticks? Uh No, a little bit of everything can be found in the Sword Coast. It, it had i feel more appeal as a tough backwater kind of area uh for starting a campaign in and they've stayed very true to the original material and as much as i can remember from the original set i look at this and i feel like it's really done us like a, a solid on it all right Well yeah, and it also covers things like, you know, the various uh, 
humanoid races like the ogres and orcs that are going to be found throughout the area, as well as the difference in some of the uh, more friendly races like centaurs and dryads. And Now, where do you find them? Where do you expect to find them? Uh, what are they doing there? How do they feel about you showing up? Uh, the essentials, the core concepts, get out. Yeah, and even putting something like some wand tea in here. Oh, yeah, but... You know, none of it is placed in front of you like a straight jacket. Like, oh no, you can't even run this area unless that's there. There's no point. Why would you even bother? <laughs> none of that kind of... Yeah, but don't want to live in subtropical zone? They can. <clears throat> There's a saying called magic. Yeah. <laughs> well, and also, they're jerks. Oh, they are. They're... <laughs> Spoiler alert for anybody who doesn't know that a Wanti is a jerk. What? I thought they're nice. No. They're up to no good. And that means frequently travel. Discreet, maybe, but still. <laughs> Traveling jerks. The worst kind. <laughs> so, yeah. And there's multiple varieties of things that you can select from. Hey, I use multiple variety. Um, from not only monsters and encounters, but even politics. It's all here. And it's a good idea that they went with this. And I also like that the inclusion of magic items isn't just sequestered at the end of the book. It's salted throughout all of it. Yeah, uh, the sidebars that they have used. I, I'm going to give this as my only potential critique. Is that the sidebars, while highly attractive and well-placed, and as much as I appreciate them, it does hauntingly remind me of college textbooks. Where they pop. Here's this item on the little sidebar to draw your attention. Good in theory, but it does give me a little education flashback. But at least they're indexed, right? Yes. Yes, they are. They've actually provided suitable indexing for this. So, very proud of them. All right. And we'll be right back with more. We're going to take a brief break and be back at you with more stuff. All right. And talking about things that make the Sword Coast unique, uh, let's look a little bit about the heritages and uh, ancestries and races. Yeah, this would be the third chapter in this particular outing. And the races of the realms, uh, It for those already familiar with Ed Greenwood's work in the Forgotten Realms, some of this may seem a little repetitive, uh, but... The various sub-races of each uh, major uh, racial stock for D&D got their own little rebranding. Uh, now, an example would be uh, the Mountain Dwarves versus the Hill Dwarves. Uh, instead of mountain, it's shield. Instead of hill, it's gold. Uh, although, worth mentioning, they also make room for the Dwergar, which I always thought was like an interesting choice to make some room for the slightly less friendly. Now, the Dwergar are the gray dwarves in this campaign. Uh, as for the elves, uh, you know, they have the, the moon elves, the sun elves, the wood elves, and the dark elves, the drow, uh, which still present, still kicking, and 
uh, affirming that while people are shocked and often unnerved by the presence of a drow who are very rare on the surface world uh, the past encounters with characters such as Driz Dorden means that you know people have already heard heroic legends of reasonable drow uh, or downright heroic drow so it's not completely unfeasible for a drow to you know I'm moving to the big city and I'm going to make it. <laughs> They've got their little success story. Uh, only you could bring that one. It's New York City. I can make it here. I can make it anywhere. If you can't make it in Waterdeep, kid, you can't make it anywhere. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but likewise, the halflings. Uh, yeah, you know, these my favorite race is the uh, Moon Elves. I've always loved Moon Elves. always loved that original picture of me in first edition box set and yeah so that's my thing and you know glad to see that them getting some of the representation i always imagine wasn't too much of a fan of the second edition stuff but uh you know this comes across less like the first edition stuff this wants to make me play forgotten realms not just read about it which was some of my criticisms about the second and third edition i think uh eric l boyd's stuff for the uh, third edition Greyhawk was really good. Oh, and it very was very, and I mean, hey, say what you want about third edition, love it or hate it, but I thought it was really good. And it definitely, it, it tried the best as it could. But again, they were working more for uh, form than they were for substance, style over substance. Yeah, I've heard that as well. <clears throat> but here we have, I think they've met the, uh, once again, their fine balance. Now, here's a particular tidbit that I, the one thing I told myself I really wanted to take a moment to highlight was the explanation of the Dragonborn. Mm -hmm. uh, and it just literally, the section begins with uncertain origins and then presents several possible stories or theories that people have about the appearance of the Dragonborn in a campaign setting that you know, if you roll this back to the original material, you know, the Dragonborn weren't a facet of Dungeons and Dragons. At that oh, time. yeah. He walked up to a first edition table saying, like, I, I'm playing this character who's like dragon blooded and he looks like a half dragon. They would run you out in a rail, son. Now, uh, this has become much, much more commonplace. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't see it as particularly much different than like the poor guys who got stuck getting resurrected. To, you know, like, oh, my. My fighter died and all we had was a crappy druid in the party, so this is my eighth level fighter, Ralph the Lizard Man. Um, right. You know, that's a thing that happened in 1E, okay? It, it was just like that. And hey, you know what? We took that in stride then. So it seems a little disingenuous to me who, you know, for people to uh, attempt to make a logical reason why like Dragonborn shouldn't even exist. Ah, look, crazy stuff happens. So here they present a series of options, just to like, here's a collection of legends and let you work it out for yourself. What's your Forgotten Realms campaign going to be like? Not here's what ours thinks yours ought to be. I consider that one of the best attitudes in game writing. Okay. Mm -hmm. the, the, hey, here's some ideas. And then, you know what? You guys go do what you like. Honestly, that mindset rubbed off on me a long time ago, and it's never gone away. So seeing it 
alive today, like in newly published material, I gotta say, I got the little warm feeling inside. You got the jibblers in your belly. But they give philosophy and faith and, you know, honor and family notions and, you know, for Dragonborn. Just to give it a little more richness. How do they fit in in this world and how are they likely to be behaving? And then where you go with it from there is up to you. Hmm. Well, and that, you know, is a good point that one of the big things with playing in the Forgotten Realms is you have a lot of legacy issues, things that people look at and kind of, they write in uh, what they remember about the Forgotten Realms. Yeah. Maybe the experience as a, as a player or as a dungeon master. And so for them, that has been the reality of the Forgotten Realms. When in fact, the realms have been many things to many different people. But here we are talking about how people view various things through the lenses of their own experiences, which is absolutely valid. But how people then sort of take it in a bad direction sometimes. And I think that's one of the things that this new edition of 5th edition, uh, edition has really tried to do, is try to balance both expectations. Because obviously there's a lot of people who like the Forgotten Realms based on the older editions or older experiences. Sure. And yet, the Forgotten Realms survives to this day because it is vibrant and interesting and everybody who more or less comes into contact with it has an ability to interact and change it for the better. Hey, you don't like aggressive orcs in your campaign in the, uh, the Savage North? Things have changed, perhaps. More orcs have become open to the idea of trade and communication. While yeah. still rather warlike and sometimes hostile to intruders, they have softened some of their approaches of raiding and pillaging at random, or as needs take them. Yeah, I mean, you could literally say, oh, like, Obold Mini Arrows, you know, like, Old King Obold Mini Arrows is, you know, hold up in the mountains uh, where his people are mining. Uh, and that's, like, their main source of trade. And, you know, they have comparatively little contact, uh, except for those merchants brave enough uh, to make the trek up into the mountains and... Uh, you know, purchase their ore, uh, and they're attempting to make themselves a concern. You, you can do that. There is no reason you can't. Uh, the fact that, like, they're included in the monster manual uh, does not mean that you have to make them complete monsters. Right, like we discussed with Troll Pack, is one of the things is, is, yeah, they may be in some ways different, but you can soften that approach and make them less adversarial. Now, if you want to continue the long tradition of orc bashing in the Savage North, well, have at it. I do. (laughs) So, yeah, it's still still a a thing. But if you want people to uh, who want to play orcs or have more of an orc-centric view where maybe we don't just kill them on sight now. I really like hobgoblins because, I mean, you know, they have the intelligence score, uh, which means that you can use, you know, much sounder tactics uh, orcish ferocity is one thing, uh, as shown in the, the half-orc, uh, but uh, the hobgoblin cunning, uh, that has always appealed to me. So I, I like making them for opponents because, uh, you know, theoretically, if you look at the intelligence scores in old school, uh, the hobgoblin actually had a slight advantage over humans. You know, they were more cunning and clever than the average human. So not to be lightly tampered with. So a highly organized, technologically adept, uh, you know, foe 
uh, with an expansive mind, you know, man, I, you really, you really got a challenge that you've been through in front of your players, or at least as much challenge as you can imagine. Because uh, obviously, <laughs> the enemies you put in front of your players are only ever as smart as the DM narrating them. Well, sure, and so on both sides there, some of the new blood into the game in, uh, environments. I've kind of noticed that the monster bashing ethos of old is kind of brushed over and you know even just stuff even reference to like monsters having different intelligence and stuff like that is rancorous to some folk and i okay i'm, I'm there with you that there are different forms of intellect and you know it, it is sort of a way of walking around the sticky subject of racism and i don't think that there's anything to say that an orc can't be an aggressive opponent but Sort of villainizing them, I see, is, uh, is a bad thing. Some people say, well, you know, that's the new woke agenda of Wizards of the Coast. All right. Gloves are off. Here's the, the takedown of that. Um, one of the big things that we've always seen in Forgotten Realms is the lack or the depth of detail. And a lot of uh, old schoolers who try to poo-poo the new way of playing say that, you know, the level of detail is just overwhelming. And I'm like, well, yeah, when we didn't know much from the, those early Dragon <laughs> magazines, we just got glimpses of the realms from the pages of the Matrix. Yeah, that, that's the... how long it goes back for us. They had not even released it as, like, a, a setting when we were already reading the, the tidbits from Ed Greenwood's articles. But even when he would reveal these pages from the Matrix, these mystic tomes and some Simes magic guns, they had this deep history that had ages past and who this, this mage or this wizard was or artificer that made these items he detailed that and that was a part and it struck you it resonated with us because we came from literary stock and i'm not trying to dismiss anybody when i say literary stock we come from the stock that like read morcock token donaldson anything we could get our hands on it was fantasy cj sheriff above yeah, ursula yeah. de Gwyn. and these were stories and places with a deep narrative that kind of dragged you in and made you feel not just like, hey, this was a medieval pastiche, but it was an actual living place. And so you wanted to have a character that was as depth, had as much depth, or at least could uh, be introduced into a world with such character and depth. And so you would have the original Session Zero, even though we didn't call it like that, but we had a confab. Yeah, and it was... I, I will say that there is a core difference between what we refer to now as Session Zero and what we recommend people practice. Uh, it wasn't executed in the, you know, sort of neat, hey, let's all get together and on the very first night we meet, we'll discuss all of these things and clear the air and make our plans. And then the Session One will be the week after and then we really start gaming. No, it was not that neat or that clean cut or that pretty back then. It was more of a round robin of like 200 phone calls uh, between six people uh, where you ironed out what the expectations for the campaign was, you know, where, what nights are acceptable to meet. You went through right. the negotiating process, uh, who are playing what characters. Yeah, what alignments are. You know, uh, here's okay. a house rule. This is how we resolve these. So, like, I don't want you to be thrown off guard if we suddenly say we're just going to dissect the initiative and let the chips fall where they may. Uh, you know, these little tidbits formed a much larger, cumbersome 
session zero. Uh, but it did tend to get it out of the way before you all showed up at the table. Right, and when some guys... <clears throat> some knuckle-draggers like to bring it out that, hey, you know, look at all this detail. We didn't need that back then. Well, okay. Yeah, there's a beer and pretzels approach to D&D, and I'm going to borrow them all. Where you could just play like, hey, my name is Ironfart the Dwarf, and here I am. What's your name? <laughs> yeah. I am Steven Seagal's haircut. The monk. <laughs> okay, let's go. And that's all you needed. You were at a dungeon, you went in, and presumably you got out. Or didn't. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Hey, and if that was your style, more power to you. But a lot of us, and I say a lot of us, like that level of detail. And, you know, sometimes, and I admit, in nerd culture, just like Star Wars or Star Trek, there's always that actually guy who will tell you how wrong you are, and they will be very right about how wrong you are about something. But, this is D&D. The Dungeon Master is right, so you can take that contrite little smile and glasses tilt and go elsewhere, because this is my realm, and you dwell in... Okay, sorry. Uh, but you, you, I, I'm going to say more to the point that, like, uh, the experiences that we lived uh, decidedly trumps people's opinions about what they think, you know, gaming was to them at another time. It's like, yeah, okay, that was that to you, but you have not quite grasped that there were a lot of other tables outside of your house. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, you know, the the tug of war that happens where people go, gaming is exclusively like this. It's like watching uh, the old adage of the, you know, uh, trio of blind monks all trying to figure out what an elephant is. And you're like, there's one guy holding the trunk. An elephant is a great deal like a rope. Uh, and another guy's, you know, got the leg. Oh, an elephant is a great deal like a tree. Another guy's up against the side of it. An elephant is a great deal like a wall. Okay, that's their individual opinions, and I respect that. That is what it was to them. But for us, it was something different, which tells you that 35 years ago, it could be whatever you experienced at the time, and I am happy to tout that the experiences we had were great. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, we, we, I don't yeah, I... if, if it had been so awful that there was plot and depth and narrative and, you know, relevance to things at that time, we probably would have quit playing instead of going, dude, this was great. This was <laughs> this was like movie quality. I, I got to do this again. I'll see All you right. guys next week. Uh, whereas there's nothing wrong with those pickup games. Like, look, <laughs> this is Hack Stabby Sword, fourth level fighter, and he is here for goblin punching. That was fun too, man. So I'm, I'm not going to diss it, but I am firmly affixed against this opinion. Like, there was only one kind of gaming in our day. No, and there's just one kind of gaming you experienced. And let, let's just throw it out there. There might have been a reason for that. <laughs> if like all, the, all I ever saw were pickup games. Oh, you mean you only got invited once? Do you, do you think that's a coincidence? It's really? Not. Yeah. And yeah, just gonna throw that out there. If anybody complains about the level of detail today and all the choices that you can make, you know, this has somehow ruined the experience. You know what? You can always dial it back and say that certain things only the core. Uh, races that 
you remember, are the only ones available as player characters. Now, and if you and your group are cool with that, hey, do it. But if you're if you're also if somebody says, hey, I would like to play a Typhling in your game, oh, Typhlings are half demon blooded and they're burned at the stake in my campaign. Uh, oh. You might want to walk it back a little bit and start looking at, hey, it's not 1981 anymore. Yeah, I mean that that's one of those moments that people just seem to have difficulty wrapping their head around. And but we really like. I the, think most per- people have like gotten over the hump on that because uh, I think they so were around too. back in third edition. You just run into a few. Oh now. yeah. Oh, that's not it's supposed to be a thing. Well, oh. you know, I'm this story shitting DM, DM with a danger haired uh, wife who plays a tightling a lot. Yeah. Yeah, uh, God forbid, like, a tiny hint of narrative flow creep into your, like, hack fest. Yeah, which... Or yeah. somebody that's, you know, a little different is... <laughs> Anybody who's not like you, bad, bad! <laughs> so, while we're punching at some straw men here, I believe that every one of you of our <laughs> listeners knows somebody like there's, that. There's a party made up of, like, people from radically different backgrounds and, uh, you know, heritages um, whose collection of widely varied skills makes it possible for them to accomplish things that none of them could do alone but anybody different is bad so <laughs> the irony of like not having gotten any of that out of this game i uh, like, just to miss that boat that badly blows my mind <laughs> but we really like this product and i you know i strongly suggest that if you're going to play in forgotten realms this take one's some, a must-have. This, yeah, you know what? Take some time and play in the Sword Coast. If you remember, have fond memories of it, you won't be disappointed. And if you have good memories of it, uh, they're going to be returned. And time to make some new ones too with some new folks. Share those memories. Don't keep them to yourself. Oh Lord, yes. I mean, the <laughs> the really interesting stories in gaming happen at random okay they're not something you can predict there's something that flows out of a collection of strangers uh, sitting down at a table together and then well that's when things got weird (laughs) Uh, i i do want to pause for a moment that uh, they have a section like right at the end of this uh, that is chiefly about uh backgrounds and it it takes time to look at how each class can have a different impact or a different emphasis. Uh, kind of like kits and things of that nature. Yeah. I, I'm you not... remember kits? Hey, they're back again, but in pog form. <laughs> I sold my soul for pogs. But it's elf. Oh, jeez. All right. No, I'm sorry. It's kits. Yeah, and they're back. And they're in a much better place now. Yes. Yes, they are. <laughs> they're uh, they're at peace uh, <laughs> now uh, the the point being that the meta narrative here is that this book provides tools that I, I gotta say are as valid and as much needed now as they have ever been there is no question that the whether it's the experienced DM or the fledgling DM if you're starting over again in Forgotten Realms, uh, doing the you know, like Sword Coast journey, this is a must-have. 
And, well, I think with that, uh, we pretty much covered the Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide. We hope you liked the review and also uh, a little bit of the trip down memory lane for us. The Sword Coast, it resonates very well. And if it resonates with you, this is a product I think you should look at. It's well worth the investment. Oh, yeah. this And, of course, the craftsmanship here is the, the usual excellence, I, I must say. Uh, it almost seems unworthy of mention because unlike the old days where you so often ran into inferior quality publishing products, uh, you know, poor bindings, uh, lousy art, things like that, uh, you know, this is a Wizards of the Coast 5th edition product. So, yeah, you... <laughs> I, I can just give it the blanket approval now and say, yeah, all right, you, you know what to expect. Uh, it is retailing at $39.95 US dollars, uh, chiefly because this is a somewhat slenderer volume than some of the large full campaign uh, materials. This, while it does not contain all of that, like start your own campaign and like here's the beginning of the campaign and the course of the campaign and all the like foes that you will face, this doesn't do that. This provides you with the toolkit for building a more interesting background for your campaign and players. Ah, I got to approve. Slender volume it may be, but well, kind of yeah, punches it over its, it's punching over its weight class. Yeah, I think it. Well, it's like those original slip books that came with the first edition. Um, Forgotten Robins. There's a lot in there, and that level of detail has always been there with us, and we're still glad it's not only with us, but still even more utilitarian and accessible than before. So, yeah, hats off to Wizards of the Coast for another fine product. Sword Coast Adventures Guide gets our full resounding thumbs ups. Yeah, dual thumbs ups on this one because uh, it is not a bad I don't buy. think we ever review a product that we give a thumbs down to because we're not that mean. Oh, well, I if mean, we don't like something, we just don't talk about it. Except the people who bother us, well, which we just did. Aha, got you. Uh, well, we, we did give it to the Fantasy War Gaming book. Uh, oh, yeah, we did. We did that, we did give a, a, a curb stopping to that. But it was too famous not to. I mean, like, it's a love-hate relationship. We love to hate it. It's like the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh, of, you know, You're not just, wrong. I mean, like, that's a great analogy. Yeah, we can do little sing-alongs where, like, you know, <laughs> we open this page and we say, ah! You know, the bogey table. <laughs> um... Yeah, I mean, Little Shop of Horrors right along with it. So yeah. it, it comes down to that we try not to be too But we want to do more reviews because, doggone it, there's a whole bunch of stuff out there. And oh. you got to really cover it and get it out to you folks. Yeah, our schedule is, like, so booked. There are so many very good products coming forth. But we're going to try and squeeze in as many as we can. Yep, and we're clearing the slate. We're just knocking them down one at a time and keeping up with the menace. So we hope you like our new format. Yep, no arcane eye. You made your saving throw, but watch out. It's out there. Yeah, it's looking for you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're going to weigh Anchor and cast off. We hope you enjoyed it. And, of course, as always, download that darn Anchor app and hit that favorite button. Take it out. Tell it that to look out behind the dumpster that's where its wallet is and then leave it <laughs> get in your car and leave it leave that favorite button behind just don't worry about it it'll it'll get it'll find its way home but it'll do the job <laughs> leave it a trail of breadcrumbs yeah and uh let us know what you thought of that episode and also give updates when we do 
publish our episodes, which we try to do weekly, but uh, it's been a struggle around here lately, but hey, we're getting better at it. So, but without further ado, we're going to leave you off with that, and may the dice always always roll in your favor. We're out. See ya. Thank you.